Welcome to Tech Breakfast, today's top headlines served hot by your host Aaron Bewley and Tyler Gates. So grab your coffee and let's get into it. All right, it's Thursday, July 9th. Welcome back to another episode of Tech Breakfast Podcast. As of this recording, we are at 3,993 plays. Absolutely wild given we've only been doing this for about two months. So a big shout out to Tyler's mom. A big shout out to my mom for listening to our show 2,000 times a piece. Thank you. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Thanks, All Ma. Right. Uh, here's, your, uh, here's your fun fact that's not necessarily tech related to kick it off. Are you ready to feel old? 23 years ago today, Mike Tyson bit Holyfield's ear off. He oh was fined. Gosh. Yeah, he was fined that's $3 23 million. years ago? Yep. Yep. Ah, those always make me uncomfortable. Not and not yep. even because I mind getting old. I really don't. Uh, my problem is that I I clearly have no concept of how long ago things happened in my life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'll hear stuff like somebody... that, or somebody will tell me that you know I'm I'm closer to the release of Jurassic Park than I am to my death or something. And it just, those those timelines, and I'm like, what what are you talking about? And then you look it up, and you're like, oh no, that was 25 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so he was fined $3 million and banned from the ring. Although I saw him, he's like 50-something now, and I saw some videos of him just like lighting somebody up in the in the uh, practice ring. Uh, he oh, really? Still like just recent videos. Like an animal. Yes, yeah, yeah. He. That's interesting. Yeah. Because you do not I, want to mess with current Mike Tyson. I remember seeing a, a thing from him. It's really short. I don't remember why I saw it either. Um, but it, basically, he was talking about Somebody asked him the question is like, do you still train? Do you keep up? And he's like, I can't. Um, if if I go like boxing mode or if I go fitness mode, I I go full bore, like nonstop, cannot hold me back. I, yeah. I just I go complete animal. And so well, I can't even today. practice boxing. Yeah. Well, he flipped the switch because I saw the video. Jeez. He is boxing. But uh, so here's your tech related uh, piece to this fun fact. I saw somebody uh, post something comparing Bezos' wealth to just a bunch of famous people, right? And he's like, Bezos is uh, 63 Oprah Winfrey's, uh, you know, That's something it. like that, right? But right. then it had Mike Tyson at the bottom of the list, and he's like <laughs> 65,000 Mike Tysons. Because oh, apparently my. Mike Tyson is only worth $3 million now, which, wow. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a good chunk of change. But I was yeah. looking it up, and I was like, what happened? Like, how much did he... So he, he apparently earned it was like seven hundred million or maybe a little over seven hundred million. Wow! Just in boxing, like just fights, like not endorsements. Oh, not endorsements like or anything. Seven hundred million. Wow! Yeah, now he's down to three. I guess he's uh, been living it up. I feel like yeah, that's yeah. a that's a common play out. I think a lot of uh, sports superstars um, run into those sorts of things where they they just yeah. make well, I mean anybody incredible anybody amounts of money. Yeah, anybody that steps into huge amounts of money right out of the gate. Oh yeah, like, yeah, it, well, know, yeah, and I'm not lottery winners. I'm not trying to lottery criticize the sports folk. I think it's it's something I have seen. It's a, yeah, lottery winners is a perfect example. I, that's probably yeah. I don't, maybe it's not worse. Maybe it's about the same, right? Family, yeah. friends just come out of the woodwork looking for money. Yeah, ugly. Yeah, well, no, I mean it's it's not even family and friends coming out of the woodwork looking for money. Like you can read, um, just. Investment. Letter after letter from these people, yeah, they're just like, gosh, I wish I hadn't won the lottery because mm-hmm. you know I I am now addicted to drugs and I'm Don't go homeless. Oops. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What so, would you do if you won a hundred million dollars? 
Squander all it right. all, become a drug addict, and give away my house. <laughs> That's right. Nailed it. <laughs> all right, let's get into the news, the tech news. Um, let me start with this one. I thought this one was kind of cool. Uh, there was a little article talking about PlayStation's uh, secret weapon in how they uh, how they make the console. Apparently, hmm. it's assembled on an almost completely automated factory. Uh, I, I didn't even realize this, but apparently cool. two people feed in bare motherboards into the beginning of the line. Two other humans package the finished product. Robots Holy do the entire cow. rest of it. Yeah. That's, I, I don't, I mean, I don't have the numbers, but take all of the console sales and the incredible amount of money that it produced and think about the massive reduction in workforce that went into automating something like that. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, that's like a textbook case for, robots eliminating jobs yeah well i mean look at what's going on in in, uh in the COVID situation right now right the the only thing i mean this this is just going to accelerate that even more oh yeah yeah interesting all right uh next bit i saw this morning uh there's a lot of interesting takes on there not takes but uh interesting angles to look at for this uh nvidia eclipsed intel as the most valuable u.s chip maker the catch, as I dug into this, though, uh, NVIDIA's so they've they're up, I think, what sixty eight percent so far this year. Uh, yeah, their stock perspective. It. Yeah, uh, but despite that, the sales remain a fraction of Intel's. So <laughs> it, it was, it was so, so does their market capitalization. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the valuation so, of NVIDIA, I, I swear, this is just Wall Street bets leaking into the real world. It's it's a bunch of yolos. It doesn't. It's so, look, I don't want to knock NVIDIA. They're obviously doing really cool things. In fact, I've got some news about that. But um, the market valuing them more than Intel, when you look at their you know, profits and, and you look at the earnings ratios and you look at literally every metric as a fundamental way of analyzing a company's value, and it's total nonsense. So, yeah. I mean... Good, good on them for it. That's great for NVIDIA and anybody that invested, but get out of here. <laughs> yeah, let me feed you some uh, some data on this. So NVIDIA's shares are currently trading at 45 times their expected earnings, which is just insane. Uh, Intel's is trading at 12 times expected earnings. And then if you look at their revenue, uh, NVIDIA's revenue is rising 34% in the current fiscal year to $14.6 billion. Uh, Intel's 2020 revenue was expected to increase two and a half percent to 73.8. Right. Yeah. So it's it's so broken. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. High fives uh, all around, I guess, but what? Well, a a lot, I mean, a a lot of, uh, expectation on, uh, NVIDIA's future success. Yeah, I guess. I, I mean, if, if, if we were pretending for a minute that their stock price and what they were trading at was actually anchored to reality, I guess the statement there would be that they expect NVIDIA to either capture a ton of white space that's identified across the industry or to start eroding Intel's uh, billions in, in revenue share annually pretty fast. But who knows? I guess yeah. we'll see. Yeah. Well, man, there's that a whole lot of GPU stuff going out there everywhere. Yeah. Know? No, for and sure. In fact, that was the, the rise of the edge and all that. Yeah, that was the other news that uh, that I saw about Intel that caught my eye was um, their uh, Ampere GPUs are now available in Google's cloud, uh, which is which is pretty cool because I guess they're particularly useful for AI and other um, you know machine learning workloads. Um, 
wildly faster than uh, previous generations, and especially for certain models, which whoosh, I don't know a whole lot about, but um, everything is being measured in teraflops at this point, and uh, they're absolutely killing it for those tensor float 32 workloads, I guess, which I, yeah. I understand is it's all about the math and the way those calculations are happening. But um, I've, I've heard repeatedly in the industry that Google's cloud is a pretty good destination for anybody that's looking for sort of as a service AIML capabilities. And obviously this leans right into it. So, I mean, NVIDIA is definitely doing some groundbreaking and extremely good work in emerging markets. So maybe that's what it is. Yeah, this is uh, it's a big area that I'm working on uh, in my job, too. So cool. lots of interesting stuff here, man. All right, let's keep it moving. Um, let's see. So this one I was going to talk about yesterday, and then I looked it up again, I guess, at the end of the day uh, or, or saw another update to it, and it was dead already. So a lot of uh, news. Well, there's a lot of people talking about it, I guess. Yeah, there's a lot of buzz about it. The the Rick Roll uh, Rick Roll as a service. That's awesome. Hey, <laughs> so, I mad props to whoever set that up because that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. So you go to this uh, this web page. It's inviterick.com, and you can drop in your uh, your Zoom link, including the the one with a password you know, to allow them in or whatever. And then it drops you in a queue, and it'll tell you, hey, you know, we're expecting to see Rick show up in like five minutes or something. And then he just joins, and then you get you get the Rick roll, and it's a pretty funny effect. Um, I never got to use it, and uh, it's also highly unprofessional, so I wouldn't use it if anyone <laughs> here uh, are listening. Oh, come on, that would have been perfect for <laughs> like no, uh, no. just a totally serious break, like a one-on-one or normal. something. Yeah. Yeah, um, no, I'm, I'm joking. But, uh, but no, yeah, I, I saw that, the and then I saw the update that it had been killed yeah. because of Zoom's terms of service, which is I, I was sad because I was hoping at least at some point I would have been in a meeting where that would have been good for a laugh. Yeah. So yep. fix your fix your rules of service. Make make a special exception. Bake it into Zoom. I don't care. No, I get it yeah. though. Like having a bot that can you know automatically log in if you just give the information there's all kinds of stuff that that could lead to that would be not funny or fun in any way so yeah probably better that they cut it out and it was fun while it lasted there was a uh, there was another article i was checking out talking about all the tech that's being brought to making sports safer ah, uh, for cool. the athletes and for the fans and all that kind of stuff uh there the one that kind of seemed the most interesting to me was the facial recognition software that stadiums uh, could be looking to deploy for contactless concessions and ticket entry, right? You would have oh, a ticket so like to your face. Truly contactless stuff. Yeah. Reducing how many exchanges between human hands. That's, mm-hmm. and that's great. Yeah. There's, there's a good use for facial recognition, up? except that you know yeah. that the same database is just going to be used to arrest people later. Yeah. <laughs> for, well, you walk for future up, crimes. <laughs> yeah, you walk up and you just say, yeah, <laughs> yeah, for precog. Uh, no, you just walk up and you say, hey, I want a, uh, I want a cheeseburger. And they're like, okay, here you go, Aaron. Thanks. And then you walk away. You know, that's really creepy. It's, yeah, it is pretty creepy. But it's awesome, and I would sign up for that. It, it's like the, um, the Amazon, you know, like contactless stores, or I forget what they call them yeah. now, but where you just walk yeah. in, pick up what you want, and walk out. Um, I, I want that future for sure. Uh, the idea of 
having to swipe a credit card or input a pin or, or do anything like that is pretty, pretty goofy. Um, as long as you can keep it secure, of course, and accurate. And I think that's yeah. probably the biggest issue people have, but for stuff like, um, ticketing, I think that's great. Just, yeah. yes, this is yours. And then you walk through and it just scan boop in. Yeah. Awesome. No, I, I hear you on that. I, especially around the realm, like when you said enter a pin or something, I'm so over this, like the, the concept of a password, right? Yeah. If we can get beyond that, that would be huge. Yeah. But, uh, I, I need uh, biometrics at a distance, right? That'll be secure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's flawless. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, flawless. That's, that's going to be hard uh, to do. Strong. Somebody will get there, right? We're uh, we're always advancing what we can get away with, and then it's just a, it's a war. But no, I I hope that that gets better, and that this maybe maybe this will be a good that comes out of everything that we're going through right now. But it would be fantastic to see a reduction in where contact is needed for stuff like payments, um, even if that's just broader adoption of stuff like contactless uh, cell phone payments. I mean, that's a, a step in the right direction as far as I'm concerned. And that yep. was budding. Maybe it will take off. But I remember right at the beginning of sort of the social distancing when there's lots of uncertainty and stuff like that, I ended up needing to go to Home Depot for something to, I, don't, I forget, fix plumbing or something in my house. But um, I, I was disappointed in how difficult it was to avoid touching something someone else already touched in the process. Oh, yeah. Not Never mind what's on the shelves. That, I think, in any situation like that, you just recognize there's some risk that somebody picked it up or whatever. But uh, like there was a receipt that I had to grab, or I guess I could have turned it down, but it, there wasn't an alternative. You know, I had to touch the machine because they didn't have contactless. So I had to insert my credit card, which then went back in the pocket. And and I counted it. There was something like, I don't, it wasn't crazy, but maybe seven different where you couldn't respect distance and, and yeah. stuff like that. And it's just like, you actually had to touch shopping sucks. <laughs> If yeah. I'm supposed to follow all these rules, then then shopping is not okay. So you remember like five episodes ago where I told <laughs> you that the concept of going into a grocery store was going to go away in about five years? This is going to promote that I as do. well. Oh, yeah, for sure. But <laughs> but I don't think that's going to go away. I still I, – I think there's going to be entirely too much market pressure to keep you coming into the grocery store, and grocery stores are going to be incented to continue selling things that way. You will not see that happen in five to ten years. Do I think again, it will become less prevalent? Yes. Do I think con- contactless stuff is going to go up? Absolutely. <laughs> are they going to give up that marketing? I don't think so. Yeah. Well, again, I'll remind you, man, probably 60% of my credit card bill every month is just Amazon. Yeah, I've I never believe been that. in an Amazon store. Uh, so, all right. Amazon probably. Let's see what else we got here. Um, there's some news around uh, Epic. What was that? Sony? Oh, yeah. Sony, Sony made a big old investment, minority. right? Yeah. What, what was that? Two, what was the 250 million, was it? I, I missed. Uh, actually, I'm not sure I put it in the show notes, but I think I think it was 250 million that Sony invested in Epic Games, uh, which, yeah, like you said, was a minority stake. Um, that's a. We talk about, we've talked about Epic and what they're doing to inject themselves into the video game market, you know, because they're they're doing a pretty darn good job of becoming another option that isn't Steam, which for a while now, Steam is where people buy games. So I I understand there's a ton of money in that. We were just talking about the millions and millions of dollars that are coming from microtransactions and PUBG mobile. It's uh, it's the same thing. The the video game marketplace is the magnet for that income. So there's a ton of potential there. Yeah. 
Well, they're doing something cool too lately. Uh, I don't know how long they've been doing this, but it's at least since the uh, you know the COVID outbreak, um, they've been giving away games every week. Uh, and I want to say they started with like GTA Five back in February or March or something like that. Like that was their first one. And then they did Civ Six, and they they did like some big names. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I wouldn't week, have noticed those at all if you hadn't pointed them out. But I saw. Them. Yeah, this week they're giving away seventy dollars worth of games. Uh, it's three different games. Uh, there's a, a zombie game. Uh, there's one called Lifeless Planet, which actually seems pretty cool. Um, where you're off exploring. The concept is like you're you're in some distant um, planet that took you fifteen years to get to you think you're all alone and then you come upon a, a soviet colony uh and it's supposed it's supposed to be pretty good nice. um and then there's a, this game called the escapist 2 uh what was cool looking into um killing floor 2 is the name of the zombie game which it looks a little just kind of like it's just arcade style um you know very uncomplicated the only thing that had me intrigued was the fact that you could do up to 12 player co-op <laughs> uh, which <laughs> I can't even think of another game where you can do 12 player co-op. You know what That's I mean? That's awesome. Even if you have, if you have uh, like, uh, I'm just trying to think of some of the other games. If you have, you know, six or eight people, you're playing against each other in some, you know, uh, turn-based uh, kind of style. But yeah, I mean, there are a few I feel like I've I've played over the years, but I don't think I can name any of them right now. That's that's a lot of people going on. I mean, I guess some of the battle royales, obviously, they have multiplayer, but not co-op. That's yeah, that's but those aren't co-op, right? Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. right. Yeah, and that also makes me miss uh, Worms. Worms Armageddon was oh, that game so was much fun. Great. <laughs> We'd play that played... in college with the doors open, and you're just like yelling at each other down the hall. <laughs> no, it's funny. I played a game. Um, a VR game called uh, Moss, which is uh, is actually a really interesting. It's not an immersive VR game, um, but it is like you're reading a book and also controlling a character, and then there are some things that you do as this external entity to solve puzzles and stuff like that. And you move this little mouse around, and there's a little simple battle mechanic for for these little robot bugs and kind of stuff like that. But um, while I was playing it, and my kids really enjoyed watching it, it was a little bit too complex for them to, to get in that. But I have young kids, and they don't play games that often, so not too surprised there. Plus, the, the joysticks, unfortunately, on the Rift are just a little big, even for my seven-year-old's hands. Um, anyways, uh, as I was playing through it, I realized like, I would really enjoy playing games like... Um, uh, like the updated Prince of Persia's where they're the three-dimensional sort of puzzle-solving rooms where you have some of the time delay stuff and there's a little bit oh, of yeah. battle involved. But but that, that game mechanic with a few adjustments to where you as the external entity can actually manipulate the environment, which is where you really kind of get to participate as, as a VR element. Um, would be really cool, like very enjoyable. I, and I thought Assassin's Creed would probably fit into that category too, even though I didn't play that game or those games very much. Um, I, I was surprised at how enjoyable it was to sort of control this little dude running around in this 3D environment, but then get to manipulate once in a while. Uh, the Nintendo games, like a lot of the Mario series, um, I think would be really cool in that too, which, which gave me... Uh, it just gave me a lot of hope for, I guess, more approachable VR too, because you 
you don't need a big space for that. You can do it at a desk, you know, as long as you've got effectively an arm's reach bubble around you, you can totally immerse yourself in the environment. So that was really cool. Yeah. All right. Um, this one I want your opinion on because I did not track digital currency uh, very much. You know, a couple of years ago, it was super hot. Everyone was talking about it. Um, I know you and Russ got into it a little bit. Oh, I yeah. never bought in. Uh, I don't even know how it's doing at this point. I feel so <laughs> from it. But one of the depends one of the on when top, you bought in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, there were some times where I was like, wow, I really got it in buy in. And then I was like, hmm, eh, whatever. Yeah. But, uh, there was some news today. So Coinbase, uh, which is a digital currency exchange, it's uh, based in California and they broker yeah. uh, exchanges of Bitcoin, uh, Ethereum, Litecoin, all that other stuff. Uh, they're exploring going public apparently. That's wild. And last valued at over $8 billion back in 2018. What do you think? Uh, I don't know. What's your take on that? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I understand the whole point of, of doing an IPO is to raise more capital, right? So I get it. Um, I guess I, I think it's it's kind of cool. Um, Coinbase all by itself lended a lot of legitimacy to uh, cryptocurrency and cryptocurrency exchanges in general, right? Because Coinbase is by, by and far the most sort of trusted US exchange and um, that that makes it more approachable for US buyers. Not by any means is that saying that the rest of the world doesn't matter or anything like that. And there are much larger exchanges, stuff like um, Binance and but I think Bitrex is still out there. There, there are a lot of big ones, but um, Coinbase got a lot of traction early. And honestly, they they made uh, Bitcoin purchasing and exchanging, as well as lots of alts now, uh, more approachable for U.S. markets because there was a lot of uh, debate about how safe foreign exchanges are, um, what laws, even from just a documentation perspective, those foreign exchanges were going to follow. We, I mean, we have laws that say they have to do certain things, but uh, when when it was going through sort of that big boom, what was that two three years ago now? And Bitcoin was up in the you know above twenty thousand, and all of the altcoins were just going crazy, and there was tons of what was probably very illegal sort of pump and dump activity going on in the back end with the alts and stuff like that. There were a number of exchanges that were involved in major um, it, quote hacks where lots and lots of crypto uh, cryptocurrency was stolen. There were exchanges that collapsed either under pressure from those kinds of uh, fraudulent activities or from just you know the owners, creators, proprietors were fraudulent and they uh, you know pulled the funds out. And there's a lot of debate and there were a lot of international lawsuits as a result. And believe me when I say the the last thing you want to do over a couple grand in some new goofy thing that you were trading in is participate even from far away in any kind of class action lawsuit in Europe, as an example, sure. right? Like it, yeah, it's yeah. really, it's not possible. So that's why I think Coinbase for a lot of US investors is pleasant because in the United States, you have a, I call it a higher level of trust that you will at least have the legal options available to you and you can follow it through to the end. So I think it's cool. Um, I'm curious what they're going to do with the funding, like what their goal is uh, as far as scaling. Um, I can't imagine that they would be IPOing and looking for that sort of fresh investment if they didn't have plans for getting better or doing something different, bigger, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So I think it's cool. Yeah. 
Well, and, and as you mentioned on the legal side, uh, the news goes on to talk about how they're hiring uh, Paul Grewal. I'm not sure how you say his name. G-R-E-W-A-L, uh, former U.S. magistrate judge. And uh, I guess he was VP and general deputy general counsel for Facebook as well. But uh, he's hmm. going to sit as their chief legal officer. Interesting. So seems uh, there's a lot of positive news around that. So it seems like uh, he is well respected. I don't know him. Um, I don't either. I don't know that name. So two other uh, things. But I, I know Coinbase is still doing really well. That, like I said, I I did. Um, I do actually have some coins that still sit in uh, in Coinbase. I have some on a ledger somewhere, and I, I think I have a little bit sitting somewhere else. I haven't actually touched them in years. Uh, so no transacting. I'm just sort of watching what's happening and. It was funny to watch some of the alt altcoins that I had just go to, you know, like dust, right? They turned to nothing. Yeah. And then some of them are going through some revivals. And I'm curious, I actually haven't looked into too much of the technology side, but I'm wondering how much of the huge pump that happened a few years back um, was sort of the heyday of everyone getting excited about the technology. And then there's this concept of sort of like a technology winter and big concepts will sort of go through this big and hype's the wrong word because it's not necessarily just like an intentional attempt to get excitement around it. I'm sure there's some of that, but it is more just like it gets a lot of attention, ends up in the media, lots of people see it, and then it just goes silent when it becomes almost more viable. And sure. then it's really starts to get leveraged as a technology. And I think um, cryptocurrency and blockchain in particular, but there are, there are other uh, implementations of you know, block lattices and stuff like that. There's actually a ton of development effort that goes into utilizing the cryptocurrency sort of yeah. backbones to do other kinds of transaction and whether it's store of value or, um, you know, monetary exchange, which is kind of what got uh, Ethereum and, and Bitcoin in the forefront of a lot of that. But there's there are all kinds of implementations that enable more rapid peer-to-peer transactions that are also secure that that are sort of they're mathematically viable, immutable, you know, over time. Uh, vectors of attack are well documented, things like that that makes them potentially more useful for things like uh, even just attaching contracts and tracking them indefinitely, a mortgage as an, as an example, yeah. as opposed to just being moving dollars from A to B, which you might think you, know, you can do with a, an application. So I know that those sort of blockchain applications are happening a lot in the background, but you just don't hear about them as much right yeah. now. Well, and I don't know if you're familiar with the term or if our listeners are, uh, but go Google hype cycle for emerging technologies. And that's, that's exactly what you're talking about. right? Uh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I think this is a Gartner term or a Gartner okay. thing, right? Um, I didn't realize they, that. I, I think it's from Gartner. Um, but the, the concept is, you know, you have this massive scale up right at the beginning and they call that the innovation trigger. And that's where a lot of all these, you know, overhyped terms sit. Uh, before I think they even really get defined, um, you know, that, that's it's the ones where you ask ten different people what they are and you get fifty different answers, <laughs> uh, and then you go through the peak of inflated expectations, which mm. I think is kind of funny. That is the yeah. trough of yeah, the trough of disillusionment. Yeah, and then you get into the slope of enlightenment, and then the plateau of productivity. Right, which yeah, is, uh, I wonder. I wonder if we're bad. almost hitting productivity for that. Um, I'm I'm sure that 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 over 
you know, <laughs> that, that peak that we had a couple of years ago was probably a spot on in line with that. And then there was sort of a blockchain's garbage. Nobody should talk about it ever and stuff like that. But many of those projects are still alive and well and um, drawing development efforts and money into them. And so I'll, I'll bet we're sort of on the uptick and heading towards that productivity side. At least I hope so. I, I know yeah. there's a lot. I mean, go read the white papers if it's interesting to you. There, there really is a lot of interesting technology or thought process that goes into it. Some of it's good. Some of it's bad. I mean, some of the criticisms of uh, blockchain specifically or, or proof, of, um, proof of work blockchain technologies is that they... Over time, they just continue to scale compute usage, which means power consumption, which makes them arguably pretty bad environmentally. Um, and I think uh, I remember uh, Pat Gelsinger, the CEO for VMware, actually was very public about that and just said, you know, he thinks blockchain, proof of work technology, blockchains are are bad. They are not technology for good. And that was based on that sort of premise. But there are lots of other ways to take advantage of uh, sort of the back ends of cryptocurrency that aren't necessarily proof of work. They all require some computation, but they aren't necessarily as intensive as Bitcoin's uh, blockchain, as an example. So, um, yeah, I, I, I hope to see some really neat, productive I don't know, things, products, solutions yeah. that come out of it. Hopefully it doesn't so die off. One of the other one of the other questions on this IPO is uh, around if the IPO will involve tokens, right? Or if it'll be kind of a hybrid listing. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Tokens as in, yeah, just like the, a, a cryptocurrency a, portion yeah, cryptocurrency of the token. IPO. See now that that's yeah. interesting. I haven't really poked around in tokens much. I didn't know that the exchanges were toying with, um, you call it like an investment in, I mean, I, that would be brilliant if if the reason they're IPOing is because their intention is to start moving forward and taking productive cryptocurrencies or their blockchains or block lattices, whatever yeah. you're using as a backup and turn them into entities that can be owned, not by necessarily just owning a piece of the coin. I don't know, like, like a token, that's, well, that's a really than, interesting concept that I don't know a lot yeah. about. Rather than owning a piece of um, Coinbase that is valued at some dollar amount, it's valued at some token amount, uh, you know, for Ethereum or Bitcoin or whatever, right? Well, and I, I would guess that it would be its own coin, actually. Um, I want to say, what's the oh, name of yeah. the, the coin? That's but Binance. Uh, Binance is an exchange. It's a very big exchange, very successful exchange. Scaled well. They did a lot of good things. Their interface was pretty useful for um, for coin trading. But they actually created their own blockchain coin that was used as sort of a transfer medium on the exchange. And as a result, it's, it, it effectively started to sort of scale with the transactions as well. So um, it, it was, I'd have to go back and actually look and see how they implemented it because it was odd in a lot of ways, but it was sort of you pay fees right when as you would in any other exchange there are fees associated with making transactions and one of the ways that binance executed fees was by leveraging some percentage of the coin that you were selling or if you had a kitty of the binance native coin the fees were lower and so they basically used their coin as an investment medium to lower fees on the platform. But that's just funneling cash into their coffers, which I thought was brilliant. 
um, and I, I can I can totally see the idea, especially if it's something um, like uh, Bitcoin specifically, where the the peak number of coins is fixed. That it, that's very much like a stock that can never split. So that's actually a really interesting way to potentially make a stake in a in a company like that. But IPO screams, you know, sort of U.S. stock or global stock market listings. So I'm, yeah. I'm kind of curious what how they're going to well, play that or both sides of that. Yeah, and I wonder how many are considering it more than more than maybe average given the current climate. And in the in the same vein, you know, when we talk about some of the hype cycle around a lot of these things, I know that there's a lot of innovative startups um, that are struggling with funding, and that's honestly frustrating right because they're mm. they're working on and developing some pretty cool pretty unique things um that can that can change industries but uh and they may be on the brink of it but they're kind of facing a shortened runway you know they're down to three six nine months left in their uh you know angel investments and all that kind of stuff sure just kind of given what's going on but so we may stay on the hype cycle uh you know front end of that for a little while longer maybe uh, if some of these fade and then get picked back up um, after all this, but yeah. yeah, it'll be interesting to see. For what, sure. Uh, what are, what are the news you got? Or should we shut it down? Call it a what day. What else I got? What else I got? Um, who, so I I must have missed this, um, and, and maybe other listeners did too. But I did not realize that Elon Musk actually had a startup called Neuralink, um, because I saw a headline uh, today actually that was saying that Neuralink is promising an update on their AI to human brain neural link system, basically a progress update. So they are actively pursuing this as a technology. And it's, you know, I was like, wait, what? Because yeah, I've heard, I, I've, I've seen some Elon tweets and some chatter about stuff like that. But I just, some, somewhere along the way, I totally missed that he actually has another startup that's doing cool stuff. Yeah, when you said that right before the show, that was uh, total news to me because I watched the interview that he did with Joe Rogan. And just it's always interesting for a number of reasons, but um, he mentioned Neuralink as the you know kind of chip in the brain sort of thing. But I thought it was just kind of an industry term, uh, you know. But no, I guess it's the name of another company he owns. But yeah, that was nuts and news. Like I said, news to me. But uh, that's exciting. Uh, it's also scary and creepy and everything about linking up AIs to brains, but. I mean, that's, again, straight out of sci-fi. It is such a fun topic, and I'm excited to see where it goes. And Elon's got a pretty decent um, track record right now for taking on some bears of a project and somehow, against all odds, succeeding. So (laughs) there's that. (laughs) He was also also, uh, in the news for claiming that Tesla is very close to developing fully autonomous vehicles. Yes. uh, so what do they call that? It's uh, level level five. Level five? Yeah, yeah level fully five. autonomous. Uh, he, yeah, he said, but, "Oh, what'd you find yeah. out?" Well, just everybody is shooting him down, saying, uh, "Yep, no way. Uh, maybe ah. the software might be eighty percent done." And there's other people saying, uh, wow. "What he's saying here is false. We we absolutely won't have level five autonomous cars on our roads in 2020." He's been saying, "Quote this year for some time now." <laughs> and the basic he is an eternal hype five, machine. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Well, unless he's talking about his own stock valuation, then he's going to say, Oh, but then it's like every other day, it's something that boosts it up or tears it down. (laughs) It's crazy. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, that's true. That's very true. No, I did. I saw that. Um, I, I saw that headline at least, or I forget where I was reading that. Maybe it was just Reddit, but um, I saw that he said that they were close. I, I didn't realize that he had made that claim numerous times. That actually doesn't surprise me a lot. But go figure. It's yeah. got people talking about it, so good for him. But it, it does. It makes me wonder how close Tesla's getting. Right? They they've yeah. had the um, assisted autonomous driving, um, human assisted autonomous driving for how many years now? Like yeah. well, what was that? Yeah, twenty fourteen. Just think about yeah, the several. data that they have collected. So honing and perfecting that sort of stuff. I, I'm not sure anyone has more data than Tesla at this point, as far as hours and miles and conditions yeah. and stuff like but that. What, so. Where we're at right now, though, is the, quote, long tail of small problems. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a decades-long negotiation between vehicles and road design. Uh, that was a very smart comment, I thought, from, uh, let's see, adambanks.com on, on Twitter. But yeah, if you think about like how how do we need to get there? It's all these little tiny problems that are pretty difficult to solve to take us from uh, a human not having to have any interaction with the car to being required to be available to take over at a moment's notice. Just that last now, step, you know. It's, it, what's There's interesting about problems. that though, and, and I'm curious how much of this gets solved road, with right? regulation instead of uh, technology, though, too. And and I say that right, recognizing that that's a pretty big hurdle to overcome. But arguably, we could get to level five autonomous driving when we say yes, it's imperfect, but it is quite simply safer than humans at this point, and we have enough data to back that up. And yeah, so, sure. well, any uh, sort of. But the but you could see level that, five happen earlier because somebody finally just says this this is safer even though it's far from perfect. Yeah, but you you've got to have like I don't understand how they're going to come over or overcome rather the uh, some of the things like a snowy road, right? There's got to be some sort of communication between the vehicle and the road. Yeah, maybe when when you can't see like all you get is reflective light. Is it is it considered level five if it's uh, only in certain conditions, fully autonomous, but not when raining or below freezing or something like that, or is that you, level what, four? What you, Conditionally what like autonomous like driving. A, yeah, what that sounds like is like an IP rating. You know, the ingress protection rating. Yeah, right, uh, right. Levels of autonomy. Is level five automated, fully automated all the time, no matter what, or yeah, is level yeah, five fully automated cool. all the time with an asterisk? <laughs> no, no, no. It's so level five is you get in the vehicle and you say, take me here. And then you sure. don't ever do anything. Like you, you, you don't even need a windshield. But is it level five if on Tuesday I can get in my car and say, go here and I don't need a windshield to touch anything. But then on Wednesday, the windshield has to you know, go transparent again because it's 31 degrees outside yeah. and bridges might ice. That's a good question. Maybe, maybe depending on the, the conditions, maybe it be level five. Maybe that's what know. Elon meant. He's going to have level fives on Tuesdays only. Close to take that internet. <laughs> All right. What else we got? Ah. We're, we're probably about a time here. We're oh like, no, I gotta close it out on that one. Level five on yeah. Tuesdays, baby. Tech Breakfast Podcast is going to level five. We're gonna get we're gonna get our four thousand listens. Pew pew pew. Thanks, mom. <laughs> we're wrapping up Tech Breakfast Podcast today. Thanks for joining, y'all. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And as always, if you got news we missed, general feedback, you want to come join us in the show, let us know. Hit us up. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. And we will talk to you tomorrow, which Financial Friday. Let's do it.
Pretty sure John, John Nicholson's going to join us, even though our schedule's been kind of all over the place. He's a flexible dude. We can make it work. John, talk to you tomorrow. Peace out, yo. Peace.